community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not the radio station. And today you're here with me, Marisa Nielsen. And this is Becca Polk, and we're both local educators in the area. And uh, today we'll be talking about Veterans Day. Um, we'll be listening to uh, somebody from Veterans for Peace um, and talking about the history of Veterans Day. Yeah. And um, I just wanted to give a shout out to Ralph. Thanks for giving us the music to get us pumped up for the show today. <laughs> um, Marisa, could you start out by telling us a little bit about the history of Veterans Day as a holiday? Sure. Um, well, originally it was called Armistice, Armistice Day, um, and it was declared after the end of World War I on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11 month, 11th month of the year. Um, it was a day to have peace and end all wars. Um, and so after that, in the early 1900s, um, later on, it turned in the U.S., it turned into Veterans Day. So in 1954, um, President Eisenhower declared Armistice Day to be Veterans Day to support um, the troops. He also created um, large programming to support veterans, um, which was helpful um, in order to raise uh, support for future wars. To, mm -hmm. to be part of. Um, Armistice Day is still celebrated in other places in the world. For example, in France, um, they are celebrating Armistice Day right now, and our president is visiting, um, but he will not be part of the peace talks um, as part of Armistice Day in France. Hmm. So we'll hold that with us as we talk about Veterans Day for the day, that it's not about the celebration of peace, but the continuation of war. Yep, exactly. So we will go to a song, Rebel Diaz, Guilty, and then we'll come back with an interview from Courtney from Veterans for Peace. The U.S. has the fastest growing prison population in the world. Well, it's like the real estate boom. <laughs> Except, of course, the problem with real estate, you eventually run out of land. You never run out of people to put in prison. system of America, the U.S. military, the FBI, CIA, ATF, ICE, Homeland Security, and the neighborhood police. They sold three-fourths of Mexico in 1848, abducted Africans and then sold them slaves. Genocide against the natives, and for that we give thanks. Wrote their history books and made themselves great. There's two types of crime. Power and survival. Crimes that deal with power were the ones you might not find, dude. Look at the trillions that were stolen from the Wall Street bailout. And Mumia's still stuck in a jailhouse. They sick, they killed little Lyanna Jones. He was seven years old, man, the story gets old. Look at the wars, look at colonialism. Look at the trade agreements and the profits from their prisons. We know the aggressor. They train them in Georgia, at the school of the Americas, where they teach torture. My father's a survivor, he talks about it often. Thousands disappeared, no funeral or coffin. And I can't harm them without the charge of terrorism. But they the terrorists, I charge their whole system. 
From the filthy politicians to the lying professor Guilty as charged, we convict the oppressors Yeah, we plead our case, they Guilty To the crooks, stole the book, they Guilty In the court of the people, we deem them Guilty Pay the debt to society, return what they've been robbing To the racist, hate and ethnic studies To the rich, cutting school funding To the bosses, denying our right to unionize Charged, no immunity clause, no impunity, nah, no. put them behind bars, get them all, the killer cops, the gentrifiers on the block, the CIA black ops, undercover, overseas and on your corner, at the border, big brother trying to control us, hold up, what is we facing, guilty by association, that's how they profile racially, slavery been abolished, that's common knowledge, said they put a clause in, see it's legal if you're locked in, to keep making profit, they keep wages. Low, by keeping a sector of society out of work Unemployed, roam the streets, precincts deployed More police, capture and contain Ain't much change, racist capitalists aim to keep us in chains I rest my case, they Guilty. To them crooks, stole the book, they Guilty. In the court of the people, we deem them Guilty. Pay their debt to society, return what they been robbing Robbing, robbing Welcome back. This is Indigo Radio. Uh, we are on 107.7 FM, WBEWLP, your community radio station. Today we're talking about Veterans Day, um, the history of Veterans Day a bit, and what's being done by veterans for peace today. Um, we had the opportunity of talking, or Rebecca had the opportunity of talking with Courtney Andar, who uh, is with Veterans for Peace. Um, he's the current treasurer of the board for Veterans for Peace. And today we really wanted to sort of tease apart our analysis of veterans um, and the military um, right now because it's oftentimes referred to in broad sweeping strokes, um, people who are anti-military or anti-war. Um, and we wanted to tease out some of the analysis of that and also um, more than just uh, what is war, but what is the militarization of our culture? Um, so we'll be talking more about that today. Thanks so much. So we'll go to the interview now and we'll be back with Indigo Radio in a minute. Hello, Courtney. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, wonderful. So we have Courtney Andar on the phone. He's the current treasurer of the board and of the board of Veterans for Peace. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Courtney, could you start out with telling us why you decided to join Veterans for Peace? Sure. Um, so I, so I joined in 2014. I believe it was uh, July or August of 2014. Um, I was just um, making a decision to leave the Georgia Army National Guard at the time. I had served um, almost five years, uh, well, just about four years at that time, but I was still technically enlisted, um, and I had decided that I would try to petition my unit to uh, be relieved of duty, um, and eventually they granted that. Um, so I, you know, leaving the National Guard, I 
uh, we're looking for some way to um, get back to some of the social justice organizing that I had already been doing. Um, I had some experience with social justice organizing while I was a student at the University of Missouri. Um, I had taught uh, pro-feminism and um, uh, anti-racist uh, theory at the school as a student, as a co-advisor of the student organization. And then um, after leaving the National Guard, I thought it would be great to continue that work um, in some capacity. So I had a, a, a really good friend who was a staff member um, in the St. Louis Office of Veterans for Peace, um, and he encouraged me to join. So I, you know, looked up the organization. I saw that they had good, uh, had a good mission statement. They had good goals and values. They had chapters all over the world. Um, and they allowed persons to join right away and, and take up positions of leadership and, and take on work as opposed to joining and, um, you know, having to work your way up. So it was sort of a, a really good opportunity for me to kind of jump right in and, and get started. So I went, you know, I applied. Um, I went to the convention in Asheville, North Carolina in 2014 and, um, and joined. So that's why I did it. That's great. And um, I, I just wanted to have you talk a little bit about the general work that Veterans for Peace does. I was looking at the website and saw that there's kind of three general areas, exposing the true cost of war, building a culture of peace, and healing the wounds around war. I was wondering if you could describe what each of these mean and some specific projects within each of these areas. Sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, so that is our, that's our basic mission statement. Um, so educating the public about the true cost of war um, is probably the most important aspect of, of what we do um, as an organization that is aiming to um, influence the nation, influence the U.S. government to um, use diplomatic means to solve um, disagreements and conflicts between countries to avoid um, interfering in the internal affairs of other countries. Um, you know, so some of the projects we do um, to, in that regard is educating the public about not just the monetary costs of war, which are astronomical. I mean, it's trillions of dollars. Um, it's, it's nearly like it's like thousands of dollars every second um, that we're spending on conflict around the world. Um, and, and um, uh, conquest in military weapons production and sales and um, all, you know mobilization efforts, um, but also the true cost of war, even deeper to the point, is um, the human cost. You know what it costs, um, what it costs veterans, what it costs current service members in terms of their health and well-being, in terms of their ability to function in society. Um, we veterans. Uh, I mean, you know, it's no secret, of course, we have all kinds of issues that are directly stemming from experience of war and conflict, but even just from training, just the psychological effects of just training for war. Um, and also, um, of course, while many of the veterans organizations in, the, in this nation, at least, focus solely on veterans, Veterans for Peace doesn't just focus solely on veterans. In addition to having um, non-veterans, but members of the organization, so we call them associate members, who are not military veterans, but they support our values and our mission. We also support true victims of war. Um, and victims of war includes not just veterans, but civilians who live in war-torn countries, who experience the effects of increased militarization, 
So it's not even just the people who live in the countries that are experiencing the conflict. Of course, that's where the bulk of the um, of the focus is. But also here domestically, um, the effects of militarization and, and constant mobilization for conflict and combat uh, is evident in our own community. So, for instance, um, city police departments um, procuring military surplus equipment so that they can use them against their own communities in, in our neighborhoods. Um, the proliferation of weapons, of course, guns, um, uh, you know, in our communities and the fact that that has some health and well-being and safety in our, in our own neighborhoods. Um, so those are some of the ways that we, we do that. So some of our projects for the effort include um, all of our chapters um, organizing, um, you know, uh, truth and recruitment campaigns. So they'll often um, set up tables and hand out literature educating youth on what it really means to enlist and the things that you should know before you enlist. Um, and then, you know, other projects include um, petitioning and protesting against um, weapons manufacturers, uh, military contracts, and things like that. Um, so in terms of um, in terms of that, yeah, that's, that's some of the projects that we do. Um, and then uh, sealing the wounds of war. Um, some of our projects include um, our Agent Orange Truth and Responsibility um, project where we educate the public about the effects of the use of Agent Orange during the Vietnam War and how many birth defects um, and how many, and just the untold trauma and um, psychological damage that the use of Agent Orange inflicted on the people of Vietnam and also military veterans who come back to the States after that and for generations, for children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren experiencing the effects of dioxin and Agent Orange. First effects, psychological effects, um, deformities, all kinds of, uh, of terrible things. Um, so we have lots of different projects in that regard. And so in addition to our national projects that are organized by the staff and the board, chapters themselves act autonomously and they organize their own um, projects as well. That's great. It really sounds like you all are doing amazing work and extremely important work that is not as well known as it should be. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio. And we were just um, in the middle of an interview with Courtney Andar, who is the works on the board for Veterans for Peace. And, you know, this is an organization that I first uh, came in contact with during um, my work with SOA Watch, working against wars and Latin militarization of Latin America. And Veterans for Peace played a huge role and still does today in promoting people to come out on the streets in mass mobilization against war. But there's lots of other forms of resistance to war that have been going on since the beginning of war itself. And often we think of anti-war movement as being made up of peace and justice um, folks that don't really have connections with war. But soldiers themselves have been resisting war since, um, for, since war has existed. And I think... Um, we want to highlight some of those anti-war movements today that really consisted of um, veterans or active military who are resisting uh, the war. And so one of those examples is from during World War I. Marisa, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. I think there was huge opposition to World War I um, from lots of different groups, socialist groups, um, the, the Socialist Party of America, anarchist groups, um, religious groups, um, women's groups, lots of opposition to World War I. Um, 
And during that time, actually, uh, the Espionage Act was passed, um, which not only prevented um, spying, but also contained a section that criminalized um, attempting to incite mutiny, desertion, or refusal of duty in the armed forces, um, which was punishable with a fine, not more than $10,000 or federal prison or both. Um, So I think, I mean, to me, this just raises the point that resistance is alive and well and has been for a very long time, um, but has been uh, neglected to be reported on, has been tried to be quashed um, by the state power um, for whatever historical time period <laughs> that we're talking about. Um, and we actually have a song. Do we want to go to that song, Becca? Sure. There- and I'm just reading, um, this is published by Stop the War Coalition, and it's interesting that when this song was published, in 1915. It's called I Didn't Raise My Son to Be a Soldier. Um, It's by the Peerless Quartet. And during that time, President Roosevelt um, objected to the song of peace and early feminism, saying, quote unquote, foolish people who applaud a song entitled I Didn't Raise My Boy to Be a Soldier are just the people who would also in their hearts applaud a song entitled I Didn't Raise My Girl to Be a Mother. Mm thought that was interesting sentiment of the state at that time. So here is the song. Ten million soldiers to the war have gone who may never return again. Ten million mothers' hearts must break for the world who died in vain. Heads bowed down in sorrow in her lonely years. I heard a mother murmur through her tears. I didn't raise my boy to be a soldier. I brought him up to be my pride and joy. And joy. Who dared to play the musket on his shoulder to shoot some other mother's darling boy? Let's take and elaborate their future troubles. It's time to lay the sword and run away. There'd be no war today if mothers all would say, I didn't raise my boy to be a soldier. programming on WVEW is underwritten in part by Everyone's Books. Located in downtown Brattleboro at 25 Elliott Street, Everyone's Books is a family-owned, independent bookstore that has been serving the community for over 30 years. They specialize in books about social change, the environment, politics, and travel, and offer a huge range of children's books. You can reach them by phone at 802-254-8160 or online via their website at everyonesbks.com. WVEW thanks Everyone's Books for their support of this station. Welcome back to Indigo Radio. Uh, We're talking today about Veterans Day. You're here with Marisa and Becca. And we're going to go back to the interview um, from Veterans for Peace that we were playing earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think... um we're one of those organizations that we don't get the press that the other veteran organizations get. 
you know, they're much bigger than us. They have more members. They have more resources, that kind of thing. But what we do um, have on our side, um, you know, for the lack of um, variety, what we do have is, you know, a commitment to um, supporting young veterans as they join the organization and giving them opportunities for leadership. So we don't join our organization as a private, you know, we don't join it as you want. <laughs> you, you can come in, you can have a leadership position in your chapter, you can run for the board of directors, you can work on a national project, you can speak and organize a workshop at our convention, you can attend our other events around the world. Um, you can jump right in. Um, you don't have to work your way up. Uh, with, you know, many other veterans organizations, you know, and they're, they're great organizations, don't get me wrong, I don't, I don't want to disparage them, but there are limits to, uh, to the things that they can offer. Um, and what we offer is, you know, a way for people to really be involved right away and to also develop some ownership um, and some responsibility in the organization and to feel like they're actually contributing and making a difference. Mm-hmm. And you kind of are already answering this, but I was wondering, um, either with specific examples that you can think of or just in general, what are the ways that you work to encourage more military members, both active duty and veterans, to oppose the imperialist wars from Iraq and now the deployment of troops to the U.S.-Mexico border? Sure, absolutely. So, um, some ways we engage uh, military service members, both currently enlisted or commissioned and also um, veterans, is, uh, you know, the use of our chapters. Um, the chapters are an extremely important part, maybe even the most important part of the organization where we engage um, service members and veterans in our own communities, you know, with members who live in the community um, by attending local events. So if it's a fair or, a, you know, some kind of um, carnival or, or a social justice convention or any kind of local event, we'll set up a table. We'll be there with our flags. With our, with our hoodies and t-shirts on, our logos, with our literature, um, you know, trying to raise awareness. So we'll, we'll go to the, you know, military veterans, they parade, Memorial Day parade, um, with our banners that say, stop the war, Mother Earth, you know, we'll be there and, you know, stop the war in Yemen, um, stop funding terrorists in Syria, um, all of these kinds of, um, awareness raising, uh, methods that we have and also just engaging veterans one on one, encouraging them to join the chapters. And so the other part of it is, of course, um, it's not simply that because you're a military veteran, you're automatically going to have the context or even the um, the understanding of what should actually be opposed. I mean, many military veterans are quite proud of the service and they um, rightfully um, feel some connection to the military even after they leave and they want to support you know, the, the brothers and sisters that they serve next to in the military and they don't want to forsake them, and that's completely understandable. Our thing is, if you want to support veterans, the best way to support veterans is to stop creating veterans. It's to mm-hmm. stop fighting wars around the world that lead people to become military veterans. And, it's, you know, we don't wear our veteran status as a badge of honor in our organization. It's actually it's, it's a tool that we use. Um, you know, a tool of legitimacy, a tool of understanding, of experience. But we say, you know, there are far other, far more other aspects of being a military veteran than just simply being proud of your service. There's all of the psychological effects, the PTSD, the rage, the trauma, the anger, the depression, um, suicidal thoughts. Of course, you know, military veterans suffer high rates of suicide, high rates of homelessness, um, high rates of transience. Um, 
And so these are the things that we communicate to potential members. We say, you know, it's beyond just thanking us for our service. You know, thank us for fighting to stop fighting wars that are unnecessary, that um, destroy other countries, that put other countries in poverty, that, you know, impose uh, economic and military sanctions on other countries, that decimate populations, that lead to vast hunger and starvation, um, in addition to fighting, fighting in their countries. Right, and I, I imagine that education to um, talk more about why this is happening in order to enrich a few and really that the wars are, like, destroying all of us, whether or not you feel proud of being a service member, I imagine that takes a lot of consciousness raising as well. That's right, absolutely. And you'll be surprised at how many, particularly younger veterans, um, who are kind of just leaving the service, you know, and, and transitioning in their life, who haven't really thought about, like, I mean, there are, there are veterans who think, yes, okay, I have sensitivity to life, I have back and neck pains, injuries sustained from training and combat, I have PTSD, I have depression or suicidal ideation, um, I have all of these side effects of my service, and yet there's a compulsion to feel proud of it. And again, we don't criticize folks for being proud of their service. You know, service is a good thing. Service means capacity. But what we're saying is this is the kind of service that actually um, does not lead to peace and justice in their own communities. It actually exacerbates the problem and mm-hmm. takes us further away from peace and justice. Um, and so just, you know, saying here's the connection. Think about what you experienced in your service. Was it, you know, was it right? Were you obeying a lawful order or an unlawful order? What was the pressure to perform in those arenas? Um, you know, was your unit pushed way, way farther than the capacity? Um, was there bad decisionism in the chain of command? Um, you know, was there tremendous losses, casualties? Um, all of these things affect our ability to reintegrate into our societies, into our communities. I mean, we have to come home. Um, we have to have families and lives and careers and jobs. We have to go to school. Um, we have to live the rest of our lives. And so, you know, we encourage persons to be critical and to say, look, you know, there's a, being part of your service is a tool. It says, you know, I serve my country. I um, contributed in this way. And because of that, because of that, I have a right to hold my leaders and my chain of command responsible. I have a right because of my service to demand that they make better decisions about how they deploy um, our, our units, our service members, how they engage our service members in combat, how they engage service members in um, international relations and diplomacy. They have a responsibility to use that power in a responsible manner and not um, simply just for military adventurism around the mm-hmm. world um, and, and projecting military might around the world. It's an irresponsible way to use such power. Um, and what it does, it just leads to further instability in their own country. And as a matter of fact, one of our framing um, phrases, you know, it's not necessarily a national project, but it's something that we use to frame our work, and we call it peace at home, peace abroad. Um, sometimes you'll hear VFP members refer to it as pop Um But peace at home, peace abroad is our, um, it's our understanding that in order to have peace in our own communities, we have to have, you know, we, we have to... Um, be peaceful uh, in our efforts in other countries, but also the the, the war um, abroad, the wars abroad, the, the um, arenas that we're fighting in leads to further instability in our own countries, just in terms of the again the, the monetary costs 
And so what gets left behind, education, healthcare, um, safety and security in our own neighborhood, those are not funded because we're spending too much money, you know, fighting other wars. And then, of course, the military surplus equipment that comes back to our own communities or, you know, uh, or the increase in uh, um, acts of terrorism because we create terrorists when we go to their countries and destroy them. Um, I mean, these things, you know, should be obvious, but they're not. And so a lot of service members don't think of it that way until they leave the service and they start seeing the effects of their service when they come home. It becomes blatantly clear that um, this is not working. This is not how we make America stronger. It's not leading to a better America. What it's doing is it's just, it puts us in perpetual war. Um, and because of that, we can't focus on the things we actually need to fix in our own country, healthcare, education, infrastructure, roads and bridges uh, and bypasses and, and clean water and clean air, um, national parks, things like that, you know, what gets left behind because of um, our bloated military budget and our insistence on fighting uh, wars and intervening in uh, conflicts that are not ours around right. the world. And I imagine your job has made way worse with the increased, um, I guess, uh, like white supremacy with the demonization of immigrants as well as the Islamophobia that reigns in our society is how do we see other people as human? Because that's one of the ways that war is justified by the dehumanization. That's right. Yes, creating creating an enemy. So, you know, framing a bunch of um, asylum seekers, you know, making their way to the country, framing them as invaders. As invaders, and in actuality, um, they're fleeing from the same kind of military adventurism and economic um, economic supremacy that we've been acting in their countries. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you want to talk about securing the border. Um, the North Atlantic Free Trade Association has essentially decimated uh, Mexican and South American um, economies. Okay. That is our making. We did that. We mm-hmm. put those people in a position to have to flee their countries. And then we secure our borders and prevent them from, from entering our countries. It's, it's madness. It is. Um, it, is. it really is. And, and, then, and then sending more service members to the border to enact yet more uh, violence and traumatization, you know, as, as a show of force. Um, and also it's just like even when the impetus is not necessarily to send troops to fight, but like in this instance, for instance, you know, the, the um, deployment of, thousands of troops to the border to stop the so-called night of caravan. They're not even, the, the, the soldiers are not even there to fight necessarily. They're putting up roadblocks and escorting border patrol agents across checkpoints. And, you know, they're just like there for a show of force. Well, that's, again, that's just more madness. I mean, how wasteful, right, for, for resources, how wasteful for, for the money spent, for, for the supplies and materials that it takes to do such a thing. Um, just for a show of force that might not even be effective in the, in the first place. And, and what a waste of human resources, mm-hmm. um, you know, to send soldiers there um, to do what? To just stand there and, and walk people, you know, across borders and checkpoints and, and just to look tough. Um, it's just really a wise use of, um, of the U.S. military, of, of National Guardsmen, who are really, you know, again, which is what I do, the National Guard, really there to, um, to serve the public. Right to you know to to shore up uh, um, our capabilities um, to mitigate um, you know floods and, and tornadoes and natural disasters or to um, you know, to put down um, violent rebellions and things like that. That's that is the actual mission of the National Guard, not to intimidate entire countries of people who are just looking for peace 
in their lives. It can be incredibly wasteful and also just a, um, a chauvinist show of force mm-hmm. um, that is unnecessary. Um, and we have better uses for our uh, military service members than that. Mm-hmm. So lastly, I feel like you've kind of answered this throughout the interview, Courtney, but I was wondering what you would say to people on Veterans Day as what is the best way that we can honor people who have fought in wars? You know, one of the things we say in veteranship piece all the time, um, we sound like a broken record when we say it, but I think it's 100%, 100% um, correct, and I uh, say it all the time, is again, um, stop creating veterans. Um, I'm not, we're not opposed to people joining the military. We're not opposed to enlisting or commissioning. We're not opposed to deploying. What we are opposed to is um, the use of the U.S. military in a form that intentionally spreads violence and fear and destruction um, and that values that. So, there is, so in this country, there's hardly value to just service, you know, the, the way, just the idea of service of joining the military, just the basic idea of service. Right? You know, we, what we say is, have you deployed? Have you fought? You know, how much did you sacrifice? Um, thank you for your service because you, well, what we say is, um, you know, don't thank me for my service. Thank me for my resistance. You know, mm-hmm. thank me for, for being a service member that decided that this is no longer the way to go and that we need a better route towards peace and, and, and justice and democracy in the world. Um, you know, we, we honor and value people's service in the U.S. military, but we also tell them, that now you have a responsibility to serve your country. Because when I was enlisted, when I was training to fight as an infantryman, I wasn't serving my country. I was serving my nation. I was serving the government. I was serving the politicians. I was serving the military contractors. But you can't serve your country by dropping bombs on other countries. You can't serve your country by testing nuclear weapons in your own country. You can't serve your country by, by operating in a field that essentially takes resources from other some other, um, you know, areas that we need in our country and, and, you know, exports them to other, to other places for violence and destruction. No, you serve your country by protecting the, the life on this land base, on, in, you know, the United States, you know, protecting the people, the plants, the animals, the trees, you know, um, working for peace and justice. That's how you serve your country. And, you know, we, you know, it's fine to serve in the military, you know, when you're in, do what you uh, can to survive, you know, get all the benefits you can, get your education, get your, your hazard pay, get your housing pay, get everything that the military promised you. And then when you leave, you know, work to work for peace, work for justice, work for um, safer communities, um, you know, work for an end to opioid crises, work for an end to sexual assault and, and, uh, and violence and gun violence and things like that. That's how you serve your country. Um, and so on, so on Veterans Day, you know, our message is stop the war on Mother Earth. You know, stop the war in Yemen. Um, stop training um, terrorists in Syria. Um, stop advocating for no-fly zones, which is a provocative um, act against a nuclear power, Russia. You know, it's like these are the kinds of things we say. Um, why do we have 800 military bases around the world? It's madness. It's absolute madness. We don't need that. Um, you know, it's a waste of resources. It drains um, funds from areas of, um, of social services that we need, that our country needs. We have bridges that are falling apart. We have streets that are falling apart. We have, you know, neighborhoods that are not secure. Um, so we say on Veterans Day, honor veterans who work for peace and justice. Honor those veterans who are working in their own community to make life better 
um, for people, for the animals, for the land base, for Earth. Um, that is our message um, on Veterans Day. Thank you so much, Courtney, and um, we will continue to spread that message. And so I want to just thank you for your service for peace and justice in this world. Thank you very much, and I uh, thank you for your service for peace and justice in this world. <laughs> and I uh, really enjoyed the interview. Thank you. <laughs> you know, sometimes I go into places where they offer a 10% military discount, and I ask, um, or they don't even say military, they say service, right? 10% discount for service members. Mm-hmm. And I often say, as a teacher, I'm serving my country. Do I get a discount? And people look at me puzzled, like, I don't understand your question. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that's, it's a hallmark of a culture that is far over militarized. When the word service is automatically equated with military service, it lets mm-hmm. you know the kind of values that we have in this country. We claim to have values in democracy and peace and freedom. But, but what that does, very clearly to me, very starkly, if the first thing people think of when they think service, if they first think military service, there is a confusion there. Um, service is, you know, this service comes in many different ways, and we should not overvalorize military service. Um, we should encourage young people in particular to to consider the full spectrum of service. Military is just one part of that spectrum. Um, there are far many other ways to serve your country, to serve your communities to be an asset to your community um, rather than picking up a gun against other people, against other life forms on this planet. So, um, again, we don't, you know, we don't criticize people for joining the military necessarily, but we do believe veterans and service members, you know, because of that decision, you have a responsibility then to work for peace as best as you can. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Courtney. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Welcome back. This is Indigo Radio. You are just listening to Courtney Andar from Veterans for Peace speaking with Becca Polk. Um, that was a pre-recorded interview. We'll go now to a song called War by Edwin Starr. It's from the 1970s. Thank you for listening. Say it again. Whoa. 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 
Welcome back. This is WVEWLP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station. You're listening to Indigo Radio on air every Sunday from noon to one. Today you're with Marisa Nielsen and Becca Polk. You've been uh, listening to a show on Veterans Day, uh, formerly known as Armistice Day in the United States. Um, We've just listened to a conversation between Becca and Courtney Andar from Veterans for Peace and Becca, um, there are some statistics that Courtney brought up a little bit about military spending and suicide and PTSD. I think it's important to to bring those to light because they're often hidden um, from our site by by the government, as Courtney was saying. So could you give us just a little bit of um, data on those statistics? Absolutely. Um, it's reported that, and this is, I should say, this is reported by Iraq Veterans Against the War, It's from a book, Winter Soldier, and we're going to play a little testimony from that um, later on in the show. Um, But they suggest, or they um, estimate that around 18 American war veterans kill themselves every day. So that is 1,000 former soldiers who are receiving care from the Department of Veterans Affairs also attempt suicide every month. That's 1,000 every month attempt, and 18 who um, succeed every day. There are more veterans who are committing suicide than are dying in combat overseas. And I think that this is a statistic that the people don't know about because the government refuses to tell these statistics. It's not that um, there's lies even, it's just completely obliterated from the knowledge of Americans, of, I should say, people in the U.S., um, And I think that this is really important that the numbers keep going up. And the question for me is why? Why are so many veterans committing suicide every day? Yeah, I think that's important just to reiterate that more people who have served in the military die back at home due to suicide than die in combat. I wanted to share a story from Joyce and Kevin Lucy, who are parents of a young man who committed suicide in 2004 after the Department of Veterans Affairs refused to treat him. And this is just a few words from his parents. Jeffrey's death should never have happened. He was caught between the humanity of what he saw and what he had to do. My son was let down first by the government who sent him to fight their war of choice and destroyed his soul 
and then by the Veterans Affair. The tragedy is not one is not that one Marine has committed suicide, but that this continues to happen four years after our son's death. Countless others' names that will never be placed on a memorial wall, though they are casualties of the emotional battlefield that rages on well after the guns and missiles have been silenced. It's just, I, I wanted to say that connected with something else I was listening to this morning on the radio with the wildfires in California, that um, these are things that are preventable. And the mother who said, I don't want your prayers. I've had enough of your prayers. I want gun control. Um, and it, for me, that's just, it's a, a connection. There is a preventable, war is preventable. Um, wildfires like the ones in California are preventable. And when we glamorize um, our, our military and when we offer prayers, um, we are perpetuating the, the crimes by our state against its own people and people all over the world. Absolutely. If people haven't already heard of the Winter Soldier, it was modeled after or inspired by the Vietnam era Winter Soldier hearings um, where people coming back from war were testifying. And um, this was a moment in U.S. history where the atrocities of war were brought to everybody's home. You know, 60,000 people who were soldiers were, were killed and 1 million in total were killed in the entire war in Vietnam that lasted about 20 years. And um, the media was reporting on it. It seemed like everybody had somebody that they knew who was in war, so the entire society was more affected. And the war and the atrocities were made more visible. And I feel like that's something that's really missing. It was a lesson learned by the government during that time that people will be protesting. People will not go along with this when they actually know what's happening. And today, those realities are so much more obscured. And so Iraq Veterans Against the War is one organization that has brought forth the voices of people who are coming back from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so we're gonna play a clip um, from a testimony of John Michael Turner, who himself is actually from Vermont. And so you'll hear a little bit about um, his experience in war. And also at the beginning of the clip, when he's first starting to talk, he's tearing off his medals of honor that were given to him by the US military. Six, I had my first confirmed kill. Uh, this man was innocent. I don't know his name. I called him the fat man. Um, he was walking back to his house and I shot him in front of his friend and his father. The first round didn't kill him after I had hit him up here in his neck area. And afterwards he started screaming and looked right into my eyes. So I looked at my friend who, was, who I was on post with and I said, well, I can't let that happen. So I took another shot and took him out. He was then carried away by the rest of his family. It took seven people to carry his body away. We were all congratulated after we had our first kills and that happened to have been mine. My, seat, or my company commander personally congratulated me as he did everyone else in our company. This is the same individual who had stated 
that whoever gets their first kill by stabbing them to death will get a four-day pass when we return from Iraq. There's one incident where we got into a firefight just south of the government center, about 2,000 meters. We had no idea where the fire was coming from. And the way our rules of engagement were, pinpoint where the fire is coming from and throw a rocket at it. So with that being said, we still didn't know where the fire was coming from. And an 84 millimeter rocket was shot into a house. I do not know if there was anyone in it. We do not know if that's where the fire was coming from, but that's what was done. Please go to the next image. This man right here was my third confirmed kill. As you can see, he was riding his bicycle. This, later on in the day, we went ahead and uh, we had CBS Laura Logan with us, but she was with the other squad. And so she wasn't with us. So myself and two other people went ahead and took out some individuals because we were excited about the firefight we had just gotten into and we didn't have a cameraman or woman with us. With that being said, Anytime we did have embedded reporters with us, our actions would change drastically. We never acted the same. We were always on key with everything, played, did everything by the books. The, the man on the bicycle, he was left in the street for about 10 minutes until we realized that we needed to leave where we were. And his body was dragged about 10 feet to the right of him, where his body was thrown behind a rock wall and his bicycle was thrown on top of him. Another thing that we used to do a lot was recon by fire, where we would go ahead and try to start a firefight if we felt threatened in any way, shape, or form. There was one particular incident where we were working with the Iraqi army and the Iraqi special forces in downtown Ramadi, and with our squad and the Iraqi army, there was also lieutenant colonels, majors, first sergeants, and sergeant majors. Sorry, Sergeant Major. With that being said, the Iraqi army would go into the house, kick in the doors, and then go ahead and shoot. And there were loud, loud bursts of machine gun fire. We thought we were taking fire, but then we later found out that it was them. Um, house raids. Because we were a grunt battalion, we were responsible for going on several patrols. Uh, a lot of the raids and patrols we did were at the night, around 3 o'clock in the morning, around there. Um, and what we would do is just kick in the doors and terrorize the families. That was an image taken around 3 o'clock in the morning through night vision goggles. And that is uh, the segregation of the women and children and the men. Um, if, if the men of the household were giving us problems, we'd go ahead and take care of them any way we felt necessary, whether it be choking them or slamming their head against the walls. If you go back to that one picture, that was one man that wasn't taken, uh, that was taken care of in a very bad way. Because, because of all the, the wiring that he had, it would be considered an IED making material. Um, on my wrist, there's Arabic for FU. 
I got that put on my wrist just two weeks before we went to Iraq because that was my choking hand. And anytime I felt the need to take out aggression, I would go ahead and use it. We were sitting here listening to that clip in the studio and um, even just the words of describing Don describing his experience and what he was essentially created to be a war machine as a soldier. And it's just horrific um, what the dehumanization of both the soldiers as well as the Iraqi people that are described in that clip. And we'll link more to his testimony on Facebook at Indigo Radio. But we just wanted to end the show by really um, talking about um, the increased militarization in our society. And when you have people who are coming back from fighting wars where they are literally um, told to brutalize a population the repercussions of that in our society are grand. And it's connected to what Marisa was talking about earlier with uh, guns in our society, the the proliferation of guns spreading throughout our society. There are more guns in the U.S. than there are people. And one of those horrific incidences just happening last week, um, the California bar shooting was, um, the shooter was a Marine Corps veteran. And I just wonder what um, what he would have been like if he had not served in the Marine Corps, mm-hmm. if he had not been uh, deployed to Afghanistan. Right. And I think that brings back to Courtney's uh, point, too, that Veterans for, for Peace are saying the best way to... Um, to commemorate veterans is to stop the creation of veterans. Um, that that's the the work that has to be done now. Mm-hmm. So let's all in our society today and moving forward come together to demand that there be no more imperialist wars for the profiteering of a few, the enriching of a few, while the rest of the humans are suffering in this game of war where people are played as chess pieces. We'd like to end with a song. Um, it's Inti Iyamani in El Pueblo Unido, and it's talking about the people united will never be defeated, that we're going to rise up in unity, and we're going to fight, and the people are going to win so that we can um, work together for unity. This is Indigo Radio. Thank you. Unido jamás será vencido. El pueblo unido jamás será vencido. El pueblo unido jamás será vencido. El pueblo unido jamás será vencido. De pie cantar que vamos a triunfar. Avanzan ya banderas de unidad y tú vendrás marchando junto a mí. Vendrá de pie marchar, el pueblo va a triunfar. 
la patria vencerá y ahora el pueblo que se alza en la lucha con voz de gigante gritando adelante el pueblo unido jamás será vencido el pueblo unido jamás será vencido la patria está forjando la unidad de norte a sur se movilizará Indigo Radio. Um, we were talking about Veterans Day or Armistice Day today. That song um, was composed in 1970 after the mobilization of the working class people in Chile who elected Salvador Allende. Um, Allende. I'm sorry, <laughs> Allende. Thank <laughs> you, Becca. No um, and we just wanted to say before we leave that uh, Brattleboro Solidarity is hosting a patriarchy group. What is the title of the group, Becca? I'm and men, patriarchy, and capitalism. So it's a study group opposing patriarchy, which is important to ending the violence in our society. Look at Facebook, Brattleboro Solidarity, for more information. And we will see you next week. So thanks so much for listening. <laughs>